Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Michael Moore, who's the managing director of Golden State Mining, who are an ASX listed exploration company based in Perth, Australia. Um, And they've acquired a number of gold and base metal assets around Western Australia um, and looking to develop these in the near future. Michael's a mine engineer um, by background with an extensive experience in Western Australia. And he's also the director of the Campbell School of Mines in the UK. So it'd be good to um, to discuss what is happening with some of the universities around the world, um, suspending some of their mining courses, and what impact this will have uh, in the in the industry in the future. So um, I want to welcome Michael to the podcast. How are you doing, Michael? Great, Rob. Thanks uh, for the invite. Good to come and talk to you. Yeah, no, and I appreciate you taking up your time as well. Um, so yeah, as we always do these podcasts, um, I wonder if you can give the audience a um, a brief background background of yourself from obviously from way back to where you are present day, um, and we're um, I've got some sort of questions and discussions that we can have. Well, it was interesting when I first went to the Cambon School of Mines. I was about one of the only few in my year that had actually decided to attend there. A lot of people had just ended up there through clearings. So for me, I'd always been around mining my whole life so my father went to the Campbell School of Mines he attended and graduated in the in the early 70s my grandfather had been there pre-war my great uncle had attended pre-war and you know the family had had a history of quarrying going back to the sort of the 1860s had been involved in limestone quarrying in Devon predominantly through that particular period so my father graduated went and took up an assistant mine manager role on a copper mine in Cyprus. And so that's where I was born. So, you know, for the first five years of my life, um, very much exposed, living on a mine site, him going to work every day, me as a sort of four or five year old, jumping in the old Series 2A Land Rover with him, bombing up the mine. So it was a really great environment and a really immersive environment for me. And, you know, what's not to like about that sort of environment? It's massively dynamic, exciting, really interesting people involved big equipment, explosives, blasting, just fantastic. And so from a very early age, I was pretty much hooked. And we subsequently moved to Ireland. He was involved in mining uh, varieties there. And then, you know, probably my late teens decided that, yeah, absolutely, I was going to be going, wanted to go to the Campbell School of Mines and study. But in that particular period of time in the 80s, obviously, we'd seen a lot of mine closures, particularly in the coal industry. Mm. So... When you sat at school as a teenager, telling your careers master that you fancied a career in mining, everybody was very anti that. And nobody had any perception that it was really a viable industry. I mean, it's ludicrous to think that now. But back then, there was this sort of pervasive view that mining was on the wane and that there was no real future in mining. I mean, that may well have been the case in the UK. But, you know, how many of those Campbell graduates over the last sort of 130 odd years have remained in the UK. Mostly people went to Campbell and it was a ticket to overseas and, and, and adventure. 
So it was a bit of a difficult time convincing people that that's something that I felt was you know, a, a career. A lot of people were trying to sort of convince me to consider something else, but I persisted with it and started at Campbell in the 90s and you know, graduated in 1999. So it was a, it was a good period of time, just post um, Exeter University getting involved. And, you know, it, very dynamic time at Campbell at that particular time. And, but very much enjoyed my, my time there and also had the opportunity to get some work experience in Australia, which is ultimately where I found myself pursuing a career. And what I realised as soon as I got here off the plane to do work experience with uh, Hammersley Iron, as it was part of Rio Tinto, big iron ore mine here in Western Australia, Tom Price, I realised there was a local newspaper that was full of mining jobs. And of course, in the UK, nothing like that. You know, you might see the odd mining job appear in a newspaper for some far off land, but to arrive somewhere where there were four or five pages chock full of mining jobs, I had ideas of maybe going to South America once I graduated. But as soon as I saw and arrived here in Perth and realised what an important part of the economy it was and how many opportunities there were, you know, for me, my mind was made up as soon as I graduated. It was a case of getting a working holiday visa and getting here as quickly as I could. You mentioned, obviously, uh, your father being in the mining industry. Um, and obviously, that's what brought you into the industry. How about any other family members, um, friends? Were, were they involved in mining? Did you encourage them to get into mining? Because they saw you, obviously, people that you may have grown, grown up with. Um, did any of them sort of follow you as well? So you having an influence on your friends by you doing, and this could be from, from your age of five up to when you left school, because you were involved in the mining industry, were you promoting that to people of your age and also your family? Did they promote that to their friends at all? Well, it was interesting because when I was at school, if you if you said your father was a mining engineer, to me, it seemed the most exotic thing that he could possibly be because I'd never met another kid whose father was involved in the mining business ever. Um, and so it was very, very unusual. And it wasn't like I was rubbing shoulders with people who were part of the industry. So my, my father died when I was 13. So in terms of getting any you know, leadership guidance and encouragement from him, well, that, that, that effectively evaporated when he died. So um, apart from my uncle being an archeologist, that was about as close as any, any family member was to, you know, digging holes in the ground in that respect. And the, but it was, it was just this, what, what we find, Rob, with respect to our sector is there is an inherent amount of ignorance in society with respect to what we do. What we do tends to happen out of sight, out of mind in these far off destinations, be it Africa, South America, the wilds of Canada, the, the, you know, the bush in Australia. So it's not something that's, that the everyday person is exposed to. And even people here in Australia, where it's a massive part of the economy, if you go to Melbourne or Sydney, again, there's, there's quite a significant level of ignorance with respect to our sector and what it delivers and how important it is to, to modern day life. So you know, for me, it's a massive frustration. I remember at school when I was probably, I was first year to do GCSEs and in geography, I was, the, the teacher let us know that the next period in the, the following week, we would be looking at various things in, in the lesson, but mining was gonna be part of that. And I was so excited because it was something that I was passionate about. Sourced lots of old photographs from home of mines and where my dad had been and bits and pieces and sort of arrived at the, at the lesson prepped, ready to sort of give them, give them the full barrel. 
And it was, it was effectively two or three minutes of the lesson and I, and I couldn't believe it. And so something that's in, as, a, as important as our sector doesn't get covered you know, in, in kids' curriculums. And really they should be understanding from a very early age when they're at kindy in the sandpit, what it means when you're you know, digging holes with a Tonka truck you know, an excavator and how that plays out in real life and how, you know, our modern society is, is founded on, you know, mining and the materials that are produced. So for me, that's a, that's a massive frustration. I guess later on, we might talk about that impact and that, that ignorance and how that's played out in terms of graduate numbers um, for, you know, for the mining schools and, and how that ultimately is going to hamper the mining sector. And there's going to be this sort of almighty fight for the for the very few graduates that are produced. And, and in the long run, that has a detrimental impact on the performance of the mining companies when you don't have people who are passionate about their, about their career and their specialized subject being you know, mining, geology, mineral processing. If you don't have these people in your businesses, it's very difficult to convert you know, mechanical engineers and, and chemical engineers and dial them into you know, what's important in the mining scene. So, so growing up, there was definitely a, a lack of, you know, of, of mentors or of encouragement because it simply wasn't part of, you know, our day to day lives in the UK other than the bad news, you know, be it, be it a mining disaster or, or the closure of pits. So a very difficult situation. Yeah. I mean, the reason why I asked that question and I suppose with what's happening with and again, we'll speak about this a bit later. Uh, around universities and attracting people into the industry at that age when you were involved in mining if there's a lot of pe if people that people that are mining professionals in the industry have to, if they have family what yeah. i what you could potentially do is sort of encourage your children to go obviously go into the industry which probably most people do but also encourage those children to speak to other people about the exciting things that they're doing. So it's just like that spreading that, um, spreading goodwill of what mining is, is at a very early age. So I just think it's yeah. something that potentially could help. And that's why, that's the reason why I asked that question. Um, to see. There's a, there, yeah, there, there's a misconception society. There's a, there's a lack of, of, of people, that the people just aren't informed about mining. And yeah. so, Often there is criticism that's that's leveled at the mining sector every now and then when there's an adverse outcome. You know, it might be an environmental spill or it might be a, a sort of an issue around heritage or social license to operate. Um, and so a lot of people, you know, and, and quite rightly, um, you know, want to get stuck in and, and, and have their 10 cents worth in terms of you know, trying to hold these mining companies to account, these businesses to account. But, but they're often doing it from a position of genuine ignorance. And that's not their fault. It's just not something that they know too much about. Or I'd much rather be held to account by people who have at least a, a, a simple understanding of the sector and its importance. And what we want to do is we want to train, you know, young geologists, engineers and mineral processors and have them very much aware of what modern society expects of mining business. Firstly, modern society has to accept that you know, mining is warranted, it is necessary if we want to maintain the, the, the lifestyles that we have, that we want to keep advancing and we want a lean and renewable and clean economy, then the mining business needs to deliver those minerals, metals into that stream in order that we can have that. So, 
people have got to understand the importance of mining and understand how it operates. And then when there are instances where we as a mining business fail, we're being held to account by people who actually understand A, the importance of the business and how we should be really doing better. And that's the most important thing, I think. But what we want to do is we want to train engineers and geologists. You know, they've got to understand about environmental factors. They've got to understand the importance now of mine closure, of rehabilitation, ESG, you know, you know governance, um, you know, social license to operate. So things that were never discussed, you know, when I was when I was uh, uh, you know studying mining engineering, but now is very very important. You know, as a, as an exploration business, you know, heritage and social license to operate is massively important to us. You know, the custodians of the land here, the Aboriginals here, we have to have a relationship with those guys. You know, effectively, you know, we need their their approval to be operating on their on their you know traditional traditional lands. So for me, it's very, very important, and I, and I get that. But what we want to do is to produce graduates who absolutely understand that. So when they go and make their way in the world and they're operating in these mining businesses, they're very conscious of those requirements. It's also very important for mining businesses you know, to be fully engaged in this arena because investor groups um, are, are, are very focused on that, how a company is operating in respect to ESG. And if you don't make the grade, Businesses, you know, these these groups will not invest in you, and that's a real challenge for some, you know, for some mining businesses. So, if we're producing graduates who are very much aligned to those expectations and understand the full process, then you know we will be operating, you know, a, a much more socially acceptable mining industry, one that's very much accepted for the good that it delivers, and is doing the right thing in terms of the communities in which we operate. And, and is doing the right thing in terms of rehabilitating these sites back to useful um, and productive ground once we finish with those operations. I mean, a, mining, a mine is not a sustainable business. A mining business can be a sustainable business and it's how we open and close these. And if we do it in a, in a manner that's acceptable to society, then we've got a great mandate then. Yeah. Um, obviously speaking about uh, graduates and uh, as you're the director of the uh, Campbell School of Mines, um, if you can um, go back to when you actually got your first position, how did you how did you go about getting your first job? And also, what advice would you give graduates um, in trying to find their first job? Obviously, we get quite a few graduates listening to uh, this podcast. I get a lot yeah. of graduates approaching approaching myself as well. So I just wonder what your thoughts are around that. Obviously, because you've you are a mine engineer and you got your first position. And also because you're part of the Campbell School of Mines. I just wonder what advice you could give. Well, I remember probably in probably way back in 1998, Dennis Thomas, who's a bit of a stalwart yeah. of the, the mining recruitment sector in the UK. Dennis actually studied at Campbell with my father. They both played rugby there. And Dennis came down to the Campbell School of Mines. I think he put a few, uh, a barrel, barrel of beer on at the club and decided, you know, was talking about his career. And of course, we as um, soon to be graduates, you know, were, were, were really keen to, to, to hear him and, and, and get some advice from him on, you know, that, that first important job. So my question for Dennis that evening was, you know, the importance of that first role, you know, how is that going to establish you and set you on a particular path in your career? And Dennis gave me this piece of advice and I've never forgotten it. He said, don't be, you know, don't be worried about that first job. Just take the first job that pays. You know, the first gig that's remotely, 
you know, related to your to your discipline and the industry, because it by no way, it does not set your career path. That will come later on in life. So just take that first job, get that employment and get that experience. And I've said that to many a graduate that's arrived here, because sometimes people are people, you know, the modern graduates are overthinking it. They're already thinking about where they want to be in 40 years time and, and how we can shortcut that route. And so they place a great deal of importance on that first role. Well, that first role is not that important. You know, it's easier to get your second role once you've got the first role. You know, yeah. that first job is just about getting something on your resume, something that's remotely related to your discipline, ideally, if that's your passion. And then that will then set you up for getting the next job. It's always much easier getting a job when you've already got one. Yeah, so but I like you get get a lot of we get a lot of graduates coming here to Australia and a bit, you know, I just got a, a year working holiday visa once I graduated, uh, you know, sold everything I owned in the UK, put it all in a back, you know, put the remains in a backpack and, and came here. And what was the, you know, the, the best thing for me was the old Campbell network. You know, I arrived here, um, hooked up with a guy I used to play rugby with. Um, we all shared a house. He'd been out here for three or four years working, got some part-time work for, uh, from him. And then ultimately, um, managed to secure a full-time position with that particular company. It wasn't easy. You know, gold price was really in the toilet in 2000 when I was here, um, but, but managed to score a job, got sponsorship. Um, and so that secured my, my position here for four years. And it was just a you know, effectively dog's body uh, project engineer in the days you know, just before computers were, were the go. So I started off with a phone on the desk uh, and a fax machine and, and got about my business that way. Um, but people do worry about that first role. And I say, look, it's not important. It doesn't matter what you do. You just get out there and get the experience. But for coming out to Australia, obviously in the COVID times, it's a little bit different. But generally, my advice to people has been get here, get a working holiday visa, come to Perth, give Perth six weeks when you're running around with resumes and trying to get something. And if it doesn't work out, you get on the train to Kalgoorlie with your resume and guaranteed within a week or two, you will have something. Because if you've had the get up and go to buy your rail ticket to Kalgoorlie and do the rounds up there, it demonstrates a willingness on your part to get on and you know, really make a career for yourself. And so that's always my advice. Don't sit back in Perth waiting for the world to come to you. You go out there and find it. And depending on how, this, how, the, how the mining minerals markets are running, Sometimes it's a little bit more difficult than others. There were times when people were literally arriving off the plane and, and walking into really high paid jobs. You know, again, we, it, that would be the case right now, but the COVID is restricting people's free, free movement. But a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of graduates are sitting there in the UK right now, you know, primed and ready to come. And my advice is just wait till the border opens and then just jump on the plane. And uh, that's, the, that's the only way to do it. Yeah, now that's some that's uh, some great advice there. And um, myself, I um, I used to live in Australia, so I know what a great uh, what a great country that is. I lived out there for ten years. So anyone thinking about taking that um, that first big step to Australia, I would definitely do it. But moving on from that, if you've and especially, I suppose I'm talking about graduates, say from the Campbell School of Mines, or maybe another university here in the UK, if they're not in a position to go overseas or to move to Australia or attempt to try and get work in Australia, what advice would you give them? Obviously, I, I if anyone um, approaches me about how 
how to get their first job. I do if I, I do give them a few different options. I do say to them, look, have a look at opportunities in, in Australia. But if they're in a position that they can't, they're not able to do that for whatever reason, what other advice would you give them um, to seek to seek uh, opportunities? Depends where, where, where they're prepared to go. But I always think if you're going to undertake a mining degree that you've got to have an inherent sense of adventure. Um, yeah. And it was very interesting a number of years ago, um, a graduate, a local graduate from the Campbell School of Mines, you know, he, grown up in Cornwall, came here to Australia um, to, to get his career kick started. But, you know, I ended up having a conversation with him four or five months into his initial 12 months. And it was obvious that it wasn't for him. This environment out here wasn't for him. Obviously, the mining environment here depends on fly and fly out. It's not everybody's cup of tea. It can be very, very challenging on relationships. Um, you know, you're you're stuck out on mine sites for you know reasonable periods of time. Um, it, it's it's sort of part of the culture here, but it's it's very different to you know to how we might operate in the UK if you were working for a tunneling business. Although in, in some instances in tunneling and civil engineering, you, you know, you're required to work away from home. But if you're going to make the most of a degree at Camborne, you know, in the old days, of course, you know, it was your ticket to adventure and, and, and overseas travel. Mm -hmm. And but sometimes people used to get that experience overseas and they might return to the UK to take up consultancy roles. You know, um, so that was often you know, what, what people did. They might end up back in Cornwall and, um, you know, and utilizing all of that experience they gained in their career overseas to assist, you know, aspirational, um, you know, exploration of mining companies, you know, you know deliver basically but the, there's still a lot of i mean there was a time in the 80s at Camborne where you know mining was, was 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 a tough time and a lot of the graduates either went to the north sea uh, and uh, got into the oil business and then there was a significant uh you know cohort that when the channel tunnel was on all went into you know tunnel tunneling and there, there's a big section of the Camborne you know, sort of mafia, as it were, that for you from the late 80s to the very early 90s were working on these big tunneling jobs and particularly the Channel Tunnel. And they've remained in that. And there, and there are lots of them here. They, they then went to Hong Kong and spent most of the 90s in Hong Kong. And then they've been down here for probably the last decade doing big projects in Sydney and Melbourne. The one thing about mining, I would say, is that you know, it opens up a massive world of opportunity because you've not only got, you know, your, your civil engineering, offshore engineering, you've got exploration, you've got processing, but a lot of guys end up in finance, mining finance, you know, insurance, loss adjusting. Um, it's, it's amazing where a mining degree, which is very varied in terms of engineering, it, you're almost a jack of all trades. It's a very, very broad course that you study. Um, means that you find a place in many, many different um, areas um, you know, associated with, with, with engineering, and it might be it might be quarrying, you know, the civil engineering side of things. So, I think it's a it's a it's a very, very good degree, and a lot of the people who've who've been there have been very, very successful because it is a very robust degree and opens up so many opportunities. Yeah, um, I want to slightly move off um, the subject now, but I will come back to um, obviously talk about the Campbell School Mines degrees, etc. Um, yeah, obviously you're the the managing director of uh, Golden State Mining, um, and you listed just two uh, over two years ago. How how are things going, and how are things playing out? Well, we listed November 2018, and it was a rotten time in the market. It was really difficult. There wasn't very much 
free, you know, flowing money available for IPOs at that time. I think we were about one of the last of 2018 to get away. It was a real struggle to raise four and a half million. If we were, if we'd been doing it this year, it, it wouldn't have been difficult okay. at all. Uh, we probably could have raised two or three times what we raised back then, uh, but we got it away and it was great to get it away in, you know, difficult circumstances because it meant we really had to graft for those funds. And, you know, we were reasonably well supported by a particular broking house called Hartley's. They raised two out of the four and a half, but the balance we pretty much raised ourselves through our own networks um, and, and, you know, relationships that we had with people um, trying to prize money out of everybody's hands so that we could get this opportunity away. And we listed it, as I said, at a very tough time in the market but it was a very tightly uh, tight structure, tight capital structure. So we raised four and a half million. And at that time we only had 36 million shares on issue, which you know, is quite unusual for an exploration company to be so tight because we, we hadn't spread a lot of cheap shares around and, uh, and we hadn't you know, uh, overdone it in terms of giving the directors too many shares. So everybody was really focused on actually delivering with the assets that we had. So, the, I mean, this last eight to 10 months has been, it's, it's been easier in the market because suddenly investors were dialed in. We had some quite significant, dis, you know, Greenfields discoveries here in Australia, a couple of key discoveries here in Western Australia, a business called Chalice and another, another company called DeGray that really lit the flames, fanned the flames of the market. People suddenly remembered that, you could be invested in a junior stock and it could be 10 or 20 times in a very short period of time if they got onto a genuine discovery. And there was a lot going on uh, in New South Wales, Lachlan Foldbelt, again, some really good stories developing out of there. So people suddenly realized that there were credible companies with good crown positions, good technical people who were very much focused on getting dollars into the ground to try and identify an all body and liberate value. And so I think there was a renewed faith that the sector, although, you know, it's a, it's, it's a bit like gambling. You know, the, um, the odds are pretty ordinary, but you can shortcut those odds. You know, good jurisdictions, good technical teams, well-funded companies, and you can really shorten those odds. And, and, and people came back to our sector and wanted to invest money. And you know, we raised money again, again this year, uh, raised another two and a half million. And we pretty much deployed that throughout this whole year. We've been drilling air core in, 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 in an area that's very much under focus because our next door neighbors, thankfully, have made a, a monster discovery. But we put nearly 30,000 meters of air core into our tent. We've got 700 square Ks in the Pilbara. Uh, so we've been a, a very active, active business. And that's part of keeping the shareholders engaged. And the, when we listed the company, people gave us money and said, go spend it. You know, don't don't sit back and, you know, keep it in the bank we want because if you're not drilling you haven't got a hope so they literally gave us the money understood the very high risk but high reward opportunity that companies are in our end of the sector represent and they said go spend the money you know and go do good technical work and that's what we've been doing basically for two years yeah so what, what actually drew you to the uh, junior explorations uh, space i'm not sure rob it, i thought that i might end up following in the footsteps of my father perhaps my, you know, my manager um, that to me as I was growing up seemed like a, a really amazing sort of role um, but 
And I, I was involved in contracting probably for the first five years of my career here and then spotted a project management role with a, a, a wannabe mineral sands producer with a project in West Africa. And really it was just, a, it was a project management role, but I quite liked the idea of that. It seemed a little bit more exotic than, you know, what I'd been doing here in Western Australia. And that was my first exposure to the junior mining sector. And I spent probably 18 months involved in that. It was really interesting, amazing dealing with, you know, we had a 50-50 JV partner, Chinese. That, that was interesting culturally. You know, I learned a lot there, went up, visited China, um, involved in, obviously, in a West African jurisdiction, uh, you know, dealing with, you know, the Office of Geology. So under the president of the Gambia, you know, the Office of Geology, dealing with sort of junior ministers, all of that, you know, tribal chiefs, <laughs> you know, a little bit of everything. And I, and I realized that I really liked that environment and that dynamic and the people and the variety. You know, you're dealing with everybody from a, you know, sometimes people in our sector, you're dealing with the president of a country one day and you're chatting to the drillers offside of the next day. And, you know, and I really liked that. So I spent 18 months, but then I got tempted back uh, again with a really technical job in, in the contracting field, a mine called Coolan Ireland and iron ore mine here in Western Australia. So again, it was a, a really great technical challenge. But once I'd done that, I realized that I wanted to get back into the junior mining sector. That sort of entrepreneurial element of it and the diversity, the variety really, really drew me. Um, and in the junior mining sector, it's you know, not necessarily you know, massively paid, but you know, if, you find, if you make a discovery, wow, you know, think, you know, it, it can really transform your life and the life of others. And it's just, I guess it's about, it's about you're, effectively you're a prospector, you know, a bit like the old days when they were out bush, they were just looking for those gold nuggets. You know, we're the same, the gear's a bit different, you know, the environment's a bit different, but we're still out there you know, having a go. And I, and I like that, 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 that dynamic. Um, and it's nice to be, it's nice to be able to set a cultural agenda and, you know, and, and take key learnings of your business career and then apply that to a role like this. And hopefully you've learned some good things and you haven't picked up too many bad habits and you can deploy that and hopefully create an environment where people really want to work and you get the chance to em empower people. And I really love that. I mean, you know, you know, I, 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 I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but, but I rec you know, I recognize and I enjoy working with really, really smart people. If we can create an environment where they can flourish, then hopefully, ultimately, that will you know, deliver success for us. So what's the uh, outlet for um, Golden State Mining? And what are you sort of looking to achieve, I suppose, over the next five, maybe 10 years? I think you know, for, for, for us, that's, that's, that's a long way down the track at the moment. Yeah. I'm, you know, sometimes I'm thinking five or 10 weeks. Because <laughs> yeah. um, we're always trying to keep, keep enough money in the you know enough treasury to support the next drill program yeah but you what you have to do is to materially advance your project technically at, at every stage and that's what we're looking to do and you know and, and with some of our projects we're looking to monetize those so we've got one project that we drilled we had a we had an aspiration for that unfortunately the geology didn't ultimately support when we did the drilling but that that project can still deliver in terms of small-scale mining and the reprocessing of tailings so even though we may have spent a couple of million bucks on it, I'm hoping in the long term, it'll deliver more than that. And it always had a fallback position, that project. So it always had shallow surface opportunities. The investors want a big, 
a big return. They want a big discovery. Um, so that little bit isn't necessarily sexy, but they're very happy if it delivers money back into our bank account and we don't have to issue more shares to raise money and we can keep the, um, we can keep the, the, the capital structure of business tight because ultimately that's to their benefit. But it, you know, we've been very lucky here that as I was saying to you earlier, the last 12 months, a very, very good environment for those having a red hot go like us and also for the producers, you know, gold producers particularly and iron ore producers. It's been great for this particular state. So a state founded on mining, West Australia is still a great place to be. It's still a great place to operate because you know the rules and you know the regulations. It's, it's, it's well entrenched. You can come here, set up a company and do business. Okay. Sorry, um, um, yeah. sorry somebody just okay. dialed me in then. Yeah. Um, so you know, generally, I mean, so my outlook, you know, for the next five or 10 years is mining is, is going to become more important. It really is. And, you know, in terms of where we want to want to take society, um, mining has a massive uh, role to, to play in that. And it's great, great to be part of that. We just need to do more to highlight the positives. Um, and we need to, as an industry to get on the front foot and talk about all the good things and connect people from their everyday lives to the mining industry. And that's very, very easy. You show them a mobile phone. You can't have that without mining. You know, you can't cook something in your microwave. You've got to drive to work in your car. You know, even if it's an, an EV, where do you think all the componentry for that comes? Mining has a, a significant role. And we just want people to recognize that. And we also want to do a, do a better job of, of delivering that. And, you know, and investors need to, need to reward companies that are doing the right thing and steer clear of businesses that don't. And, and, and hold them to account. Because there are plenty of businesses that you know, operate you know, in some third world jurisdictions and they take advantage of that fact. Now, what we don't want people to be doing is investing in those businesses. We want companies with, who are operating, wherever they're operating, they're operating under first world rules and regulations and expectations. And that's the most important thing for credibility, I think, in our sector. Yeah. Something that's been in the, the news more recently um, is, and we speak about, um, I suppose we can speak about the Campbell School Mines, but generally speaking, there's other universities as well. Um, obviously, the University of Exeter recently paused the recruitment onto the mining engineering degree um, at the Campbell School of Mines for 2021, so for, for next year. What's your take on that? And Obviously, the Campbell School Mines is not the only university out there that is cutting some some of their courses for yeah. the coming year. Um, there is other mines, uh, school mines around the world. Um, I think in Canada, Australia itself, and possibly others as well. Um, and that's probably because of the lack of interest in those subjects. Perhaps there might be a lot of other things around that. What's your What's your take on on what's happening with some of these courses and some of these universities sort of cutting, cutting these, uh, cutting these off for, for next year. I, you know, I, I, I can understand it, but the problem is, is that if you, if you don't promote something, um, then how do you expect people to find their way to your institution to, to study? So not only have the universities um, got, got, got an issue without, with, I think outreach, 
the, the mining industry in general ha has an issue promoting itself. And it's not that well coordinated in terms of delivering that. And as I said to you, we, what we want is we want young people and, you know, or, or, or anybody who's got an interest in studying a resources related discipline to get the very best education and training so that we're delivering people with the right skills into a mining industry that's very receptive to that. And the challenge has been is, is, is promoting that and, and for people to understand that it, it is a viable career. And as we, you and I have discussed on this particular call, it's not just about mining. You can find a career in London, you know, in Scotland, in Wales, wherever it happens to be, it doesn't have to be purely mining related, but the industry will be crying out for people. There's a challenge here in Australia. Again, a country that you would think would be overrun with people wanting to be mining engineers and geologists, and not so because of a lack of reasonable promotion. And there was a challenge in the UK, whereas you know, in the last few years, if you were interested in mining engineering and you went to search for for, for, for institutions that offered a, a mining related course, it was almost impossible to find one. Administrative errors, you know, those sorts of challenges, right hand not talking to the left hand. So it's, it's really a case of promotion, but also I think it needs to be genuinely part of the school curriculum. People have got to understand the importance of mining and farming, you know, to our modern way of life. Accept it, it is going to be part of ILF. We can do things better. Um, and the more educated people are, you know, the better off the whole sector will be as, as a consequence. And we just need people to be under, understanding and informed about what we do. And that's the biggest problem. The only reason I ended up at Campbell was because my dad was a mining engineer and I was around it. Otherwise, you know, I just wouldn't have had that, no, never had that exposure. And particularly when I went to Campbell, a lot of the guys in those days came to CSM through clearing. A lot of people didn't want to be there um, and had no idea that there was a course that was available in mining engineering, but it was the only place that offered them a place. But we ended up with this really, really great mix of people that have gone out into the industry. And you know, diversity is the key for our sector. What we don't want is some sort of homogenous output. We don't want sort of consistent A grade, triple A grade students come in because we don't have that variety. And the, and the, and, and the sector needs people with all sorts of skills and strengths and weaknesses and, and likes. And, and, that, and that's important. And you know, when I studied, we had people who were ex-army, a guy who'd been an underground air leg driller in the coal fields, decided he wanted to come and you know, get an education. Um, a guy from a boat building course, we had a fisherman. I mean, I don't think we, we get that sort of mix now, unfortunately. And that's what, that, we get strength from that, um, but there's just general a lack of perception of the importance of mining in our sector. I'll give you an analogy. 18 months ago, I needed a new iPhone. And I had some problems with it. And I took it to the Apple store here in Perth, you know, the epicenter of mining in Australia. And I got an English guy. He was a DJ. We got chatting. And at the end of it, he said, look, you know, you're in a business. We offer this free support service. Let me take your details. You don't have to use it. But if you want it, it's there. So name, details, company. And we got to the drop down box that had the sectors which our business operated in. We dropped the drop down box. Was there anywhere in that drop-down box for mining? No, there was not. Nothing related to mining, oil and gas. And that's hard that, to believe being in Australia as well. You can understand being in the UK, but in Australia. You could understand that. But you would have thought that, you know, maybe globally they considered that drop-down box. You know, 
and I, and I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I had, I was having a, I was pulling his leg, but I said, this is an absolute disgrace. You know, here I am, here we are in the epicenter of mining and we don't have a drop down box for this. I said, how do you think, what do you think that machine, that iPad that we're, you know, that we're dealing with here is made of? You know, how can, how can a business like that, a global business like Apple, not have in their exhaustive drop down box, a position for my sector, a sector that they rely on for all their key componentry? I said, and that Rob, in a nutshell, is the problem that we have. That's a great example of the ignorance of, of I suppose, the world and how they view mining. Um, which yeah. and it brings you back to the question I asked you originally when you were like when you said when you were growing up, um, you were obviously your father was in mining, and that's how comes you got into the industry. So I suppose one of the things I was I was trying to get at is people within our industry, mining people they should really promote the industry to non-mining people. Mm. And, and that's whether it's younger children, people going, obviously children that go into school and then obviously adults, but, but really promoting it to non non-mining people and just telling them how wonderful the mining industry is. Obviously it's going to take years and years and years, but that's a start. That's a, and that's something that's free and that will organically yeah. grow. So you mentioned, obviously, the education system. Now, obviously, for them to include that in the curriculum is going to be a long process, I imagine. But look, it would be massively controversial, I think, that if you yeah. were to, to make that sort of suggestion, um, uh, there would be a lot of people in the education community that would feel very uncomfortable about that. Um, but I think we need to have those sorts of discussions. Um, and it's a very real part of modern life. And so why are we sweeping it under the table and hiding it from young people as they grow up? Because they only grow up ignorant, you know, and, and, and poorer as a consequence. You know, what we want is people to grow up informed and understanding what our sector contributes and delivers. So that's, I think that's one of the biggest challenges that we face as a sector. And there's also a a collective apathy within our sector. You know, we're not all on the front foot advocating for mining and we forget what an amazing career and, 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 and how rewarding it has been for us. And, and, we, and we, we neglect to sort of highlight to people every now and then some of the, some of the benefits and some of the great things about a career in our sector. Mm. So what, what do you think as mining professionals, what, what can you do to help the situation? Um, obviously, I mentioned one about obviously just informing people that are non non mining, just educating them around the industry. And again, that that takes really a lot of time. Is there anything else? Like obviously, people listening to listening to this podcast, what what can we do to help help part of this process? I mean, again, is it individuals that should be doing this? Is it mining companies? Is it both? Is it the government? Um, I, I, but it can be everyone. It's, it's all of the above, but what we, you know, we at the Cambon School of Mines Association, Association are, are, are grappling with this problem. How do we best coordinate that goodwill? And, and you know, we're contemplating, do we need an effectively a sort of a not-for-profit organization that works with, you know, works that is funded by mining companies um, in some way to provide better outreach um, and, and, to, and to better lobby and to, 
and to encourage people to, to, to study so that we can ensure that the mining schools remain sustainable and that the mining companies have a good supply of quality, well-educated graduates. Uh, that's the most important thing. But, but how, yeah, it's, it's how do we coordinate all of that? And it does need somebody to, to manage that. Um, and you know, even at, at our level, it's, you know, we've got lots of graduates spread throughout the world, but how do we manage somebody going back to their school, delivering a presentation, you know, doing a bit of a show and tell, as it were, for an hour or so, you know, coordinating that, mapping it all out. Um, it's, it's something that I think we really need to think about because at the moment it's just not working. There's little dribs and drabs happening, but it's not a, a coordinated approach. And I think, I think we need that. Yeah. So we um, just last, lastly on this subject, with obviously some universities pausing certain courses, what will whatever will happen in 2022, um, how is that going to affect the industry and the future? Um, and is there anything we can do to help resolve this or help with what other potential issues it can um, affect the industry moving forward? Well, the graduates at the moment have been snapped up and that, you know, that there aren't enough to go around. When I'm hearing the numbers from mining companies of how many grads that they want, they're simply not there. Yeah. I mean, all the grads from Campbell, I think, have effectively been snapped up. There's one contracting company here in Perth that's taken 10 plus this year. I mean, there's not, there are not many more graduates available from Campbell, quite frankly. So it is a massive challenge. It needs, you know, it needs to be on the agendas of boards of directors. It, they need to understand that this is a massive challenge that may not manifest itself fully for, you know, five or 10 years, but by then it's going to be too late. Um, and of course, we will have a bit of a free for all whereby, you know, graduates and, you know, and, and junior managers are being paid exorbitant salaries by companies that can afford it and pricing others out of the market. And, and we'll be all the, all, the, all the poorer for it. I mean, I saw here in the boom times, the quality of management and engineering outcomes fall significantly as a consequence of a sort of a rush to the bottom, you know, pay, just pay whatever it takes to get that person. And, and, and ultimately there just weren't enough people to go around with the right skills uh, and the right experience. And that's what we will find. And mining operations won't perform as well. We'll be delivering, you know, poorer outcomes in terms of, you know, the environment, um, uh, you know, our social license to operate. And I think the industry needs to confront now that these traditional mining education institutions are, are a precious resource. And it's not just about funding them, Rob, it's about getting bums on seats. And you know, in the old days also, companies would identify talent from within the ranks and say, look, you're a great supervisor. We'd actually like you to go back and get a degree and come back as a, you know, and come back and work your way up through the business. So we're gonna send you to Camborne we're going to send you to the WA School of Mines or the Colorado School of Mines to get your degree. And you will come back here, you know, uh, uh, you know with more greater potential. Um, so that that doesn't happen. But collectively, it's really it's about bums on seats and how we encourage graduates to join our sector. You know, and Kirk Adams has produced one or two videos, you know, about how exciting mining could be. We need that, you know. Um, you know, the new generation are very stimulated. It's short, sharp videos, whether it's TikTok or you know, whether it's Instagram, you know, you know, LinkedIn. Um, we need to use those mediums to engage with those guys and say, look, you know, you think you think that's exciting. You know, you come and join our sector. Yeah, you know, it's on. 
and and you need to be part of it. Yeah, um, it's going on to my next question because I was going to ask you what your thoughts on how we can actually attract young people into the industry and what are some of the key drivers to achieving this? Well, you know, a lot of mines now, um, you know, are going, uh, you know, remote. Uh, so, you know, especially here in the Pilbara, Western Australia, uh, a lot of the mines, uh, remote remote equipment, haul trucks are running driverless trucks. Uh, you know, so this is a, these, you know, we've got these massive centres here in Perth where they're controlling, you know, mine sites, you know, 1500 kilometres away. I mean, it's pretty amazing. And then you know, the, you're getting up to these sites and seeing that interaction with your know, personnel and all this remote equipment. Um, Resolute, Sayama in, uh, in Africa, you know, those guys, you know, effectively are fully remote underground mining operations, just fantastic. And, but, but there's still the opportunity for good old fashioned adventure, Rob, you know, putting your boots on, getting a, getting a rucksack on and, and, and getting out there and going to find an ore body. I mean, it's just fantastic. You know, again, that's that variety, but it's how we portray that. Yeah. And in the old days, it was publications, it was magazines. It ain't happening there anymore. You know, we need to get on these platforms and get, you know, and, and, and drive that agenda. And, and it is exciting. We all love it. We're, we generally are pretty passionate about it, especially when we, you know, we after, after work drinks and, you know, a group of us get together and we talk about the, 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 you know, the, the jobs that we have. You know, there's never anything else that is really compared to it, I think, in terms of mm. variety and excitement and the dynamism of it. We just need to convey that to this new generation. So, you know, we need to work with people who understand it, who, who operate in that arena um, and, and who, who you know, deliver products into the, that generation. And we need to work with those people to better understand how we market our sector. Yeah. As a conclusion, how would you how would you sum up the mining industry at the moment and what's the future? I think we're at a pivotal time uh, at the moment. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, the sector is, is changing for the better. Um, it, it, it's, it's operating to a, a, a significantly higher standard and, and, looks to, and looks to exceed that on, on, on an annual basis. It's amazing how the mining sector here dealt with COVID. It was almost like a bump in the road because they were already set up. There are people in these organizations who are contemplating scenarios like this on a daily basis. And so when it happens, suddenly, you know, they're relevant and they're there with all the solutions. And it may have been a little bit touch and go here, but this the sector here has operated unhindered because it was prepared and ready to go. And probably the closest you know, business to that might have been you know, the military in terms of how they how they've executed operating in this particular environment. But I, I think the mining sector's well positioned and uh, there's no slowdown Rob you know in terms of EVs uh, renewables uh, storage massive demand for specialty metals and copper particularly and so I yeah and and the sort of global financial uncertainty just plays uh, you know plays uh, plays the hand for the gold players so yeah there was a time maybe when I wasn't so optimistic but I'm pretty optimistic now. Yes, yeah, certainly. And I think the biggest challenge facing the industry is trying to find all these uh, well-class deposits. Um, yes. And yeah. there's obviously a number of different commodities that, that are much needed. And especially with some of the governments, um, I mean, especially here in the UK, um, Boris Johnson mentioned that he wants um, all diesel vehicles and petrol vehicles to be sort of gone or probably not made in, in about 10 years. Well, yes. 
it's going to take 20, 30, 40 years before everyone's got um, electric vehicle because yeah. the amount of commodities that are, are unavailable due to the demand. So, um, yeah, I suppose the biggest challenge is trying to find these world-class, or not even necessarily world-class deposits, but significant deposits in copper, for instance. Um, Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I think the industry's uh, going to start picking up over the coming years and, and for the foreseeable future. So um, we need great graduates and we need better and we need better engagement with the mining between the mining companies and, and the schools. Yeah. You know, and, and we can deliver and we can and we can achieve you know, and um, we can dispense with those challenges. You know, that, that's what the mining industry has done time and time again. Yes, certainly. Really appreciate your time, Michael. Um, if our audience wants to reach out to you, how can they go about doing that? Are you on any social media at all? We're on Instagram. We're on YouTube. We're on LinkedIn. And of course, we've got a website. So I'm always happy to have a chat, Rob. Yeah, no worries. And we can put all these in the show notes anyway below. Um, really appreciate your time, Michael. Um, really, um, thank you for obviously providing this uh, content around, especially around, I suppose, graduates, degrees, universities, um, and what, what's happening in the, in the WA market um, and with obviously with yourself. So I really appreciate your time. And thank you, audience. Thank you for listening. Um, really appreciate if you can um, share this episode with people, people in the industry, um, people, even people outside of the industry as well. Um, if they want to know, if they want to know about mining or understand about mining, um, appreciate if you can share this, uh, this episode with them. Um, because then they might start to understand what mining actually mining is. So please keep sharing these episodes. Um, and until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.